Good morning, Christ Church. It's so good to see you here at our service today. And if you're online, we want to welcome you. Uh, we recognize also that this might be two in a row for you. So if you visit us for the first time last week, we want to say a special welcome back to you. And uh, we always want to give a little bit of an insight as to what's going to transpire over the next hour or so with us. So we'll give you some insight right now. So we sing songs to God that are from the Bible, but they also express what's in our heart. And we want to tell him how much we love him and how grateful we are for all that he has done for us. And then we have opportunities to pray. And those prayers also come from our heart, from the deep needs that we have, that we express to God to meet us right where we are. And he's faithful to do that. So we encourage you, if you're online, put some, uh, put some prayer requests on there. We, we want to be able to pray with you. And then we have opportunities to on-ramp in, in and through the life of this community. And uh, so for you and your family, there might be some opportunities. You go, hey, I want to be a part of that. So we'll give you information about that, and we want you to jump on in with us. And then my friend Sue Ann Canfield is going to bring forth the preaching of God's Word through the Bible. And so she'll be doing that a little bit later on in the service. But right now, I'll ask you, is it okay if we start our service? Is it okay? All right, come on, if you're in this room, let's stand together. If you're at home, online, join in with us as well. When hope was restored Where was despair When my God split the shore And where was defeat When the Lord took a breath When he stood in power By the grave that he led Nowhere, nowhere Nowhere is the fear When my King resurrects Nowhere sorrow when dry bones arose and where was the pain when the sin touched the road and where was disgrace when the king laid rest the stronghold of sin by the grace come on sing the way no No way, 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 no
like for us to do right now is to activate our faith this morning as we sing the next words. I see joy rising and hope calling. All right, you ready to join in? Here we go. Well, I see joy rising. I hear hope calling. I see fear hiding. I hear chains falling. I see walls shaking. I hear doubt running. Cause my God's on his way. Come on, we're gonna sing that again. Lift it up. I see joy rising. I hear hope calling. I see fear hiding. I hear chains falling. I see walls shaking. I hear doubt running. Cause my God's on his way. Yes, he is coming here. Now here in his presence my shame disappears. Now here, sing it out. Now here, well I stand undefeated when Jesus, sing it out. Now here, now here, now here in his presence my shame disappears. this morning would you bow your heads and join me in a word of prayer father we thank you as we just sang that song lord you are coming we see walls shaking walls coming down fear trembling running away god we know you're our eternal rock and lord you are the firm foundation our solid ground and footing you give gifts to your people for the good of the church God, you equip and train your people to carry out the good works that you have prepared for us in advance. Lord, as we meet with you today and as we meet together, we ask that you would provide wisdom and guidance and direction. God, remind us that you are our loving ally and you are our fortress. You are the tower of strength and you are our rescuer. God, everything we need is found in you. Lord, we pray this prayer, and we lift these praises to you. May they put a smile on your face. God, we as your children, we pray this in the beautiful and matchless name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And together we say, amen. You can take your seat.
Well, good morning. My name is Matt Franklin, and I am an elder here across our worship community. Uh, and I just want to say welcome to you this morning. If you are joining us here in person or whether you are worshiping with us from your home, we're glad that you are here. I would just like to, uh, to also say if, if this is your first time that you are joining us here this morning, or maybe as, as Dave mentioned, you are making your way back after finding us on Easter, or, or perhaps you've been coming for quite some time now, but you haven't made that step to connect. We are ready when you are. We actually have a team of fantastic volunteers who would be happy to help you get connected and love to meet new people. So if you feel you are ready today, follow the prompt on your screen or go ahead and grab a connections card on your way out and, and connect with us at a later time. We are starting a new two-week series this morning called Altered Life After Resurrection. And we would love to invite you to come back next week to continue this good message with our good friend, Pastor Tracy Bianchi. We'd also uh, like you to know that we actually no longer have to pre-register in order to come and worship with us here in person. Uh, with, with our two services now at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m., we now have the, the capacity to be able to, to invite uh, and have additional guests here in the building and make sure we can do so comfortably and safely for, for everyone. And of course, we will continue to offer our online services for those of you who wish to continue worshiping from your homes. You know, one of our core values here at Christ Church is living generously. We have over, four, over 60 mission partners, not 40, 60 mission partners globally. And one of those mission partners is, is Team World Vision that we'd like to highlight for you today. And as I invite one of our friends, Missy X, up here to tell us about her journey and experience with Team World Vision, let me tell you what I know. This is a group of ordinary people who are passionate about changing the world for children in developing countries. They give of themselves physically and of their time, all in order to, to bring clean water to those vulnerable in, in these communities. So Missy, let's hear about your experience. Thanks, Matt. So in 2015, when my husband raised his hand here at Christ Church to run the Chicago Marathon, I was shocked. I was, thought he was crazy, but we did it together. And that physical challenge that we took together actually became a true deep home within Christ Church. And although I still don't consider myself a runner, I hate every step, I'll be honest. Um, I come back year after year for the fellowship that it provides me and to answer that calling that God put on my heart to be more generous that day in church. Um, you know, we've seen as captains, God work in amazing ways to get people not only to the start line, but to the finish line. But more importantly, it's become a place for us to explore our faith together and learn what it really means to give deeply of ourselves for God's children all over the world. Thanks, Missy. Let's go ahead and give Missy a round of applause and all of our team at Team World Vision. Well, if you have been giving generously for, for a number of years regularly, or if you've had yet that opportunity to give, I'd invite you in this moment just to consider what that life of generosity would look like for you. Maybe to take that next step in what God is calling you to as we continue to stretch and grow in our faith. Stand. 
together. And let's declare this, our prayer to God right now. Father God, we are here. We are here right now in this moment to honor you. You call us friend, Lord. And we are here to say, use us, Lord. Make us available to you. We have emptied our cup for you. We want you to fill us, Lord, and use us so that we can spread your word. We can show someone the way back to you. We can show them your light through us, Lord. We thank you so much for your grace and your mercy. And we are here for you, Lord. We love you, Lord. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Amen. 
What a beautiful prayer. I love that. Lord, we are here for you. Um, I'm so glad that you are here this morning and chose to make yourself available to God. Uh, if I haven't had the pleasure of meeting you yet, my name is Sue Ann Campfield, and I serve on staff here as the women's director. And it is, I mean this, it is always just a joy to be here and to be with you in worship. I want to extend a special welcome this morning to our brothers and sisters, my friends at our Butterfield location. Good morning. I'm so glad you are joining us this morning as well. You know, I think I am one of the, the unique people on staff who gets a window into the world of both what God is doing here at our Oak Brook location and at our Butterfield campus, and I am better for it. So friends, I'm so glad that you're joining us this morning as well. Well, this morning, you know, I was thinking uh, as I was preparing for our time together that this is my third year in a row preaching the week after Easter. And I was thinking about that a little bit. And, you know, it's so interesting because every time I get to this point of the year and I say, what, do, what am I supposed to talk about now? Right? We just, we just spent all of this time as a church and as individuals preparing our hearts and our minds to come together and, and to culminate everything that we believe about our Christian faith last week and declare together, he is risen. Right? He has risen indeed. Some of you put on heels for the first time last week in like a year. You got your kids out of the house. You got to. You got here. And you know, it's funny because we get here and we say, well, what, what do we do now? Like we watch the championship game. Do we fill out our brackets all over again? Are we starting over? What do we do? You know, that's why this morning I love what we're going to talk about today and the next week, this life after resurrection. Because this morning I want to remind us that just because we declared he is risen last week, he is risen is only the beginning of the story, my friends. This is where it just starts getting really good. Because if we, if we just take last week and we just with our lips say he is risen, and then we don't actually take the resurrection of Jesus Christ and what happened and allow it to transform our lives, every single part of it, then we are missing out on so much that God has in store for us. This is just the beginning of the story. And so the question I want to ask you this morning, I'm gonna, go, I'm gonna go heavy and hard right at the beginning, so get ready for it. Here's the invitation I want you to consider from God this morning. How has God altered your life because of the resurrection? Or maybe for some of you, a better question is, how does God need to alter my life? because of the resurrection. I want you to pin that question right here as we talk this morning, because we're gonna come back to it at the end. Now, if I, were gonna, if I were to ask you this morning, especially those who have been around church for a little while, who maybe know your biblical history, if I were to ask you, what's, what's one of your favorite post-resurrection stories? Do you know what I mean by that? What's one of your favorite stories in scripture when someone encounters the resurrected Christ for the first time? I imagine that some of you may say, well, it's the story of Mary and the women who encountered Jesus at the tomb. Dan actually told that story last week. Somehow he tied in the queen's gambit to it, which was remarkable. If you didn't hear that lesson, go back and listen. But some of you would say that. 
Some of you may say, oh, I love that story of the, the couple of guys that were walking on the road to a place called Emmaus. And they were walking and they were talking about all the events that happened in Jerusalem that weekend. And they didn't know that Jesus was actually walking beside them the whole entire time. I love that story. And some of you may say, oh, it's Peter. It's Peter when, when Peter meets Jesus on the beach and Jesus makes him breakfast and he restores Peter back into the kingdom. I love that story. We're going to talk about both those stories next week, by the way. Or some of you may say, Paul, I love the story of Paul, the, who was Saul and persecuted all the Christians, and then he met the resurrected Christ, and he went on to write half of our New Testament. Pete is preaching that message in our sanctuary this morning. I'd encourage you to listen to it. But I wonder how many of you this morning, when you think of post-resurrection encounters, would think of the story of James. Now, there are actually quite a few characters in the biblical narrative named James. It was a very common name in ancient times. There's actually five different people named James. It's not important that you remember this, but we have James, the father of Judas, who was one of the 12 disciples. We have James, the son of Alphaeus, brother to Matthew, also one of the 12 disciples. We have James, the younger, who's mentioned in Mark, Perhaps the most familiar James in scripture is James, the brother to the apostle John. You know them, the sons of thunder, the sons of Zebedee. You never see them in scripture, one without the other. All of those James were followers of Jesus. But the James I want to talk about this morning is none of these people. The James I want to talk about this morning is James, the brother of Jesus not a follower of Jesus. Now, Scripture doesn't actually tell us a whole lot about Jesus' early life. We don't know what it would have been like to grow up as the brother of Jesus. Now, we can speculate that maybe it wouldn't have been a lot of fun. Any of you who have, like, overachieving siblings that really annoy you, you can imagine a little bit. That might have been a little bit what it was like to grow up with the son of God. But we actually meet James for the first time in Mark chapter 3. And what we see is that Jesus begins his public ministry, and as, as Jesus is growing in popularity and he's teaching people and preaching pe to people and he's healing people and more and more people on the outside are becoming attracted to Jesus, Jesus' family, his brothers, his siblings, James, are actually really skeptical of who Jesus is. At times they're even downright hostile towards Jesus. And so we meet James in Mark chapter 3, and we see this, this scene of these people. Jesus is in someone's home, and all of these people, like they do, they're just gathering to him and, and coming to them, and he's teaching, and, and, and we see that there were so many people, the scripture tells us that Jesus and his disciples, they couldn't even eat. You ever been at a party like that? You're just trying to get to the food, right? All you want to do is a little bite, and there's so many people who want to talk to you, you just, you can't get to it. That's the scene that's happening here. And the scripture tells us that when, when his family, Jesus' family, when they heard about this, they went to take, take charge of him. 
Imagine just going in uh, the room and just grabbing them by the back of the neck. They're a little embarrassed by what's going on. They went to took charge of him, for they said, he's out of his mind. He's crazy. This is the family of Jesus. Later, we see in Mark chapter 6 that Jesus is teaching in the synagogues. And again, the scripture tells us most of the people are amazed. They can't believe the authority with which Jesus is teaching. And they say, where did this man get these things, they asked. What's the wisdom that has been given him? What are these remarkable miracles he's performing? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of, here we go, James? And he lists Jesus' other brothers, Joseph and Judas and Simon. Aren't his sisters here with us? And the scripture tells them they took offense at him. And then Jesus says this famous line, a prophet is not without honor except where? Except in his own home, in his own town, among his own relatives. Jesus is not feeling the love from his people. And then as things heat up in the life of Jesus, we turn to the book of John and the, the Jewish leaders, they're plotting to kill Jesus. And Jesus, or uh, James and Jesus' other brothers, they start getting a little sarcastic. They start getting a little chippy with Jesus. And they say, come on, if, if you want people to know who you are, stop doing all this stuff in secret. Go reveal yourself to the, to the world. Let them see who you are for John chapter 7, verse 5, for even his own brothers did not believe in him. Now, I want to pause right here for a second because I think this begs the question for us is how do you grow up with Jesus? How do you grow up along the, alongside the Son of God and not see what other people could so clearly see? How is it that James, the brother of Jesus, is so skeptical towards his brother? One of my favorite answers is uh, from a preacher, Matt Chandler. It's not super theological, but he does offer this. He says, you know what, basically because when you grow up with a brother and he tells you that he's the son of God, you don't believe him. <laughs> All right, that's James' attitude towards Jesus. Let me ask you, can you sympathize with James at all? Have you ever had moments in your own life, in your own faith journey, where you were skeptical of a relationship with God? Have you ever laid your head on the pillow at night and just those worries start cascading through your mind and you think, really, Jesus? Are you really who you claim to be? Is this really what our world looks like today? Or maybe even as you sit here today, you're faced with some real difficult hardships in your life. And you want to take a step back and you want to look at the gospel story and you want to look at this resurrection story and you say, really? Does the resurrection actually have the power to change what's going on in my life? Does it have the power to change what's happening in my marriage? Does it have the power to restore that broken relationship with my child or my friend that I love so much? 
Does it have the power to help me overcome that addiction or to get out of this financial crisis or move me into a calling where I find joy and peace and purpose for my life? Does the resurrection actually have the power when we look out at the world around us to heal all that is broken? Does it? Let's go back to the story of James and see what the scripture says. It happens in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And it happens so quickly that if we are reading too fast, we'll just miss it. We'll blow right by it. And here's what the apostle Paul writes. He says, for what I received, I pass on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scripture that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, Peter, and then to the 12, and after that he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and the sisters. And then friends, here's where it happens, verse seven, here's our mic drop. Then he appeared to James. James, my friends, James the hostile, sarcastic skeptic has an unexpected encounter with the resurrected Christ. And in that moment, as we're gonna see in just a minute, in that moment, his life is altered. It's altered both now, here, in the here and now, and it's altered for the life to come. It's altered in eternity. Now, it's interesting because scripture doesn't tell us what happens between James and Jesus in that moment. In my own imagination, I wonder, did did James just fall at his brother's feet? Did he weep? Did they hug? Did they laugh? Did James say he was sorry? Did Jesus say, I told you so? We don't know. Scripture doesn't tell us what happened between James and Jesus, but at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter. I had a a college roommate by the name of Jill, and uh, when we first started living together freshman year, we became fast friends. And we were friends for a really long time through college. She was one of my favorite people. We laughed together, we cried together. But as life went on and as we lived together through our college years, things got a little bit bumpy. Things got complicated, and to be honest, neither of us were quite mature enough at the time to know how to handle it, and it led to a breakdown of our relationship. And four months before we were set to graduate from college, Jill moved out of our apartment, and we didn't speak again for about the next 10 years. And one of the things that caused friction between Jill and I as I was growing in my faith journey, I was becoming closer and closer to Jesus. It was altering my life. And Jill just got more skeptical and more hostile. She was hostile towards me. She said some really angry things directed at me because of my faith. And then about 10 years ago, I got an email out of the blue from Jill And her first word said, forgive me. And I just started to cry. And she went on to say how she had met the resurrected Lord and it just, it changed her whole life. 
It changed her whole life. And about, about six months or six weeks ago, I got another email from Jill out of the blue. And she went on to tell me more about how Jesus has been transforming her life. And she said, I, I'm actually thinking about going to seminary. Who ever would have thought? And she said at the end of her email, she said, seeing God never gets old, does it? Seeing God work, it never gets old. Now, I don't know what happened between Jill and Jesus, but I do know that Jill, this woman that was writing this email to me, was not the same person that I knew 20 years ago. Jesus had altered Jill for both the here and now and for eternity, and that's exactly what we see in the story of James. Listen to this. So after the resurrection, there was a group of people. They were gathered in the upper room. They were in a house to pray. All the disciples were together. In the book of Acts, Luke tells us that those present were Peter and John and James, a different James, Philip, Thomas. He lists all the disciples. And then he goes on and he says, they all joined together constantly in prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and who else? And his brothers, his brothers were all now praying with the disciples. They were having church together. And right after this, it's like the, mo- the movement of Jesus just explodes. The Romans thought that they would, by killing Jesus, they'd squelch the whole thing, and the exact opposite things happen. And we see the disciples, they're getting persecuted, and there's this story where Peter, Peter gets arrested, and he's almost killed, and, and he has this miraculous escape from jail. And do you know who he tells the people to go tell? Go tell James. Tell James and the other brothers and sisters about this. After this, in the book of Acts, we see that twice the apostle Paul himself goes to James for advice on how to handle matters in the church. In Acts 15, we see that when they finished, who spoke up? James, he spoke to Paul. And he says, brothers, listen to me in front of the whole church. They're listening to what James has to say. In Acts 21, Luke tells us that several of the disciples, they traveled to Jerusalem. And when they arrived there, it says they were greeted. And the next day, Paul and the rest of us, who did they go to see? They went to see James. And all the other elders were present. They did life together. They did church together. Because you see, James doesn't just have an encounter with the resurrected Christ. He doesn't just show up on Easter Sunday and then go home to have brunch and not have his life changed. James doesn't just play lip service to his faith. He allows the resurrection of Jesus Christ to transform his life. Some theologians call James the first bishop of the early church. Galatians calls him a pillar of the early church. He writes the earliest documented piece of the New Testament, what we have in the book of James. Friends, if you've never read the book of James, read it. I promise you it will alter your life. James presides over the church for the next couple of decades, and while not in scripture, we know from historical records that ultimately James gives up his own life. He is stoned at the hands of the persecutors for the one thing that he said he would never believe in. He gives up his life. Friends, who has the power to do this? 
Who has the power to transform lives in this way? You know, maybe this morning you're asking, now why did I take this long and detailed route through the journey of James? I could have skipped all kinds of things in that story, but I want you to listen to the words in Ephesians. Ephesians says this, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe, here it comes, that power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms far above all rule and authority, power and dominion in every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. The same resurrected power that raised Jesus from the dead, my friends, it lives in you and it lives in me today. That same power is at work in his church and in this world and in our lives. You see, two things happen when James encounters the resurrected Christ. First thing is his identity is altered. Call this positional righteousness before God. You see, James is no longer James, the brother of Jesus. He is James, the servant of Jesus Christ, just like when we encounter the resurrected Christ for the first time, our identity is altered. We are no longer brother or sister or friend or daughter or athlete or student or CEO. We are children of the most high God. We come under the eternal promises of our creator so that we may be made right once and for all. We may be raised right in eternity with God because, friends, there is nothing, there is nothing that can separate us from the love of Christ when our identity is altered once and for all before the resurrected Lord. The second thing that happens to James that happens to us is our behavior is altered when we encounter the resurrected Christ. It's practical. Our inward convictions and our outward lives, they start to mirror one another and the resurrection power, it starts to permeate every single area of our lives. Changes how we run our businesses. Changes how we choose to invest our resources. Changes how we talk to our coworkers or that person that waits on us when we're sitting at our favorite restaurant. It changes who we choose to date It changes how we treat our spouse. It changes how we parent our kids. It changes how we parent our kids when we stand at the sideline of their soccer game. It changes everything. It changes what we choose to consume, what we choose to post on social media. It it changes how we choose to view people in this world that do not have the same socioeconomic or skin color as we do. It changes everything. And so, friends, I want to come back to the question that we started with this morning. How has God altered your life because of the resurrection? How does he need to be altering your life today? You know, a few uh, years ago, I had a friend that I used to uh, work with. Uh, Down in the city, I used to work for a nonprofit, and there's a group of amazing women there. We all became really good friends, and so when I got the job here at the church, we just missed each other. 
And so my friend um, Sam decided to drive out and, and see me with her four-year-old little son by the name of Alex. Now, Alex was such an interesting little kid because Alex was naturally skeptical of everything. Everything and everyone. And you see, Alex didn't know me that well. And so Alex, what he decided to do was write a note to his mom. Actually told his mom to write a note. And when they got here, and we went down to the Discovery Center here at our Oak Brook campus, we sat down, and my friend Sam said, here, Alex wrote you a note. He wants you to know something. And so Sam slipped me this note, and I, I opened it up, and here's what the note said. I don't know if I love you. A little four-year-old. He wanted me to know. He wasn't sure yet. He wasn't quite sure if he loved me yet. And, you know, I loved that so much, and I, I kind of let that message that he sent me just permeate my, my mind. And ever since that day, I've kept that note pinned on my bulletin board next to my desk in my office. And I do that because it reminds me of two things. First of all, it reminds me how many people, maybe some of you, maybe people we encounter, how many people walk around this life with a note like that tucked in their pocket when they think about their relationship with God. God, I'm just not sure yet. God, I just, I don't know if I love you. I don't know if I can trust you. I don't know if this resurrected thing that those church people talk about, I just, I'm just not sure. Those people have never had a life-altering encounter that changed their identity with Jesus Christ. And I just want to say this morning that if you are in that boat, if your identity has never changed, my prayer for you this morning so you just take one step. Just take one step towards this life of faith and life of Jesus. Say a prayer and say, Lord, I don't know if I love you. I don't know if I trust you, but I'm willing to pray this prayer and see if you'll just work. That note also reminds me how many of us are walking around with that same note in our pocket, and maybe our identity has changed. Maybe we know where we stand in eternity with the Lord, but there are things in our life that we are just not sure if God can alter. We just are not sure if the resurrection can actually change it, if it has the power to transform it. And so we have this one little place in our life, and we have that note in our pocket, and God wants us to give us, give him that thing, and we say, I just... I don't know, Lord. I don't know if I love you in this space in my life. I don't know if I can trust you with this thing. And my friends, what I would say to you this morning, whatever that thing this morning may be for you, put it at the feet of Jesus. Say, Lord, I don't know if I love you. I don't know if I trust you, but just here's this thing, and I'm going to see if you'll work and watch what God does. Because I can't help but think that the reason that God gave me this message to preach this morning and the reason that he does what he does in the life of James, he takes all this time to show us the transformation, maybe, just maybe, it's so that you and I could sit here today, we could sit here with all our questions and our doubts and our fears and our skepticism and our relationship with God and we can look back at the pages of scripture 
and we can say, Lord, if you did it for James, if you can change a life like that, Lord, what can you do in my life today? You pray with me. Father God, I thank you for the people who are gathered here today, Lord. I thank you for your word and your truth and the reminder that the same resurrection power that raised Jesus from the dead, that transformed the life of James, Lord, it is the same power that is at work within us today and it has the power to transform anything and anyone. And so, Lord, we trust you this morning and we ask you to take these things, transform us, we pray, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Sing a song here just a minute to close out our, our worship service. It's called I'm Graves into Gardens. How many of you know this song? I just saw someone in the front row like, yeah, love this song. I've had it on repeat all morning as I was preparing for our time together. And here's what I'm going to invite you to do as we, we close in worship. Whatever that one thing is, whatever your one thing you want to trust today for God to alter in your life, use this time to pray that to God. There is this great line in the song that says, because the God of the mountains is the God of the valleys, and there's not a place, not one single place where his mercy and his grace won't find me again. Friends, do you believe that this morning? I hope you do. So why don't you go ahead and stand to your feet this morning and take that one thing and as Kim and Dave lead us, pray that back to God and let him turn your mourning into dancing and your ashes into beauty and your graves into gardens. Because friends, I'm telling you, he is the only one who can. Let's lift up our voices. I searched the world, but it couldn't fill me. Man's empty praise and treasures that fade are never enough. Then you came along. And put me back together Now every desire is now satisfied Here in your love Come on, let's sing out Oh, there's nothing better than you There's nothing better than you, Lord There's nothing Nothing is better than you I know it's true Don't you believe it? I'm not afraid To show you my weakness My failures and flaws Lord, you've seen them all And you still call 
Cause the God of the mountain Is the God of the valley And there's not a place Your mercy and grace Won't find me sing this together. glad that you chose to join us this morning. I hope you found a word of hope and encouragement and a reminder of God's truth in your life this morning. Here's one more thing I want to encourage you. If you've had a resurrection story in your life, if God has done something good in your life, if he has brought those gardens into graves in your life, you tell someone Share that story with someone today because you don't know who needs to hear the hope of this resurrected life we live. Amen. Friends, as you go from this place today, may the truth of the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, may the power that raised Jesus from the dead fill you with hope and strengthen you with love and grant you peace. 
this day, now and forevermore. Go in peace. Thank you.